Lutherans in the UK, Living Grace. This podcast is a joint venture of the Council of Lutheran Churches in Great Britain. In this episode, we are on location at two different conferences. The Anglican Lutheran Society in Norway and the Bishops' Meeting in Canterbury. We then fall in step with Lutherans marching at this year's Celebration of Pride in London. Finally, an update of some upcoming events around the CLC. First, General Secretary Anna Kraus talks with two attendees at the Anglican Lutheran Society Conference. One Anglican and one Lutheran. We are here at the conference of the Anglican Lutheran Society in Trondheim in Norway and I'm joined by Dick Lewis, the current secretary of the society and Anglican, and Tom Brook, a member of the Lutheran Church in Great Britain and a founding member of the society. Tom, can you tell us a bit more about when the society was founded and why? Yes. I think it all goes back to Martin Luther, really, who celebrated his 500th birthday on, in 1983, 10th of November, if I remember correctly. And at that time, the Church Times, Church of England newspaper, had some comments, some articles about Luther and Lutheranism. And also at that time, I was director of uh, Hothorpe Hall, which was a retreat and conference center owned by the Lutheran Council of Great Britain, now Council of Lutheran Churches. And I wrote a letter to the Church Times saying um, that, you know, our two traditions, Anglican and Lutheran, are very, very similar, but are distant cousins, and we don't know much about one another, each other. And that triggered uh, some letters back to me, and I think back to the Church Times, about this. And one of those letters to me at Hothorpe Hall was from the Reverend Dr. Ian Phelps, who was a vicar in Peacehaven in Sussex. And he had been reading a bit about Luther. He was very much from the Catholic wing of the Church of England. He had also uh, tried to develop relations with the Orthodox, but had pretty much given up on that and wondered if the Lutherans you know, were perhaps closer cousins. As a... And so I invited him. That led to uh, an invitation from me to him to come to Hothorpe Hall which was really a Lutheran community. I mean, we had regular chapel services, Eucharists, and so forth, which he did. And then he was there for a few days, and and we shared conversation and some beer, and, and that was the Lutheran input, I think, the beer. And the Anglican input was, was a bright idea from him, because we were talking about how could we strengthen the relationships and the knowledge, you know, information flow between the two traditions. And he said, well, in Britain, the normal thing is to start a society. So how about an Anglican-Lutheran society? We said, all right, let's, let's have a go and see what happens. And so uh, we, I think, then wrote another letter to the Church Times, uh, inviting people to come to an, an organizational meeting, which took place on the 31st of March, 1984, at the Lutheran Student Center, International Lutheran Student Center. And really, to our surprise, 30 or so people turned up. And, well, things happened. We developed a newsletter called The Window, very, very quickly, actually, in the, within a few months. Uh, Ian Phelps and I decided on the title The Window because we wanted to indicate that we needed to look at one another through sort of, a, not exactly a lens, but you know, just put each other on display and look through the window. And um, first president 
was uh, the Right Reverend John Gibbs, who was Bishop of Coventry, immediately, right from the start. Eventually, we had two co-presidents, and he became the vice president, and that was the uh, Bishop in Sweden, and uh, David Tosten, who were the co-presidents. And a couple of years later, the president of the Lutheran World Federation, and the Archbishop of Canterbury, then Robert Runcie, and Han Bishop Hanselman, became the co-patrons. And so that, that basic structure is there from 86, 87, something like that. And from there, things have developed. Thank you, Tom. So, Dick, as the society is actually approaching its 40th anniversary next year, as I just realized, what is going on at the moment? Well, what's going on at the moment is that we're persisting following COVID, where we had great difficulties, and we had to have a virtual conference rather than going to Rome, which we all had wanted to do so badly, but we were denied the opportunity. But it did mean that we could get together a wonderful panel of, of speakers and contributors. Um, and this has continued, rather, our pattern of having an annual meeting every year and then an international conference either in the United Kingdom or somewhere else in the world. We've been to America, we've been to a number of European countries, and it's delightful that we're here in Norway. This is the second time we've had a conference here in Norway. So I got involved very much in the early days because our parish had formed a link with a parish in Germany, and I didn't know anything about Lutherans at all. And uh, I saw Anglican Lutheran societies being formed. I ought to be able to find out something. And our aim is that ordinary people, not these people who meet for international dialogues and all this sort of stuff, but just ordinary people can discover how much we have in common but delight in our differences, get to know one another, to pray together, to work together on different sorts of projects, um, and so that we can extend locally the, the ecumenical work of the church and perhaps be more efficient uh, because we're doing things together. So that's our, our aim, uh, and uh, we're doing that. Our next annual meeting is going to be in Coventry, and we're going to look at ecumenical response to things like violence, because there is so much violence of different kinds in the world. And then our conference after that is going to be in Edinburgh, and we haven't quite decided what the focus will be, because we want to make it something that's relevant as far as possible for the time. But uh, so that's, that's where we're at at the moment. And you've already mentioned, Tom, that it's become an international movement and that this conference we've got people from, of course, Europe, but also the US, Australia, Tanzania. So it's really spread from the UK and, you know, a small Lutheran church, really, globally. And that's, that's a great success, I think. So what are you hoping will happen in, in the coming years for the future? Where do you see the challenges and the opportunities for the society? It's been really impressive to see how uh, the society has developed from this little kernel into sort of a, if not a full tree, at least a growing plant. And uh, it's really hard to anticipate what's going to happen next. It's just as when a plant grows, you're not sure which branches are going to you know, go which direction or what color the leaves are necessarily going to be and so forth. So I don't quite know, actually, if we stay pretty much as we are, uh, if the plant stays pretty much this size, I still 
think it's a valuable uh, resource for not simply theologians. We have theologians, and we do talk about theological things, but it very much uh, for a sort of grassroots opportunity for Lutherans and Anglicans and others, Methodists, Roman Catholics, and so forth, to get to know one another better on, on the sort of the, the fellowship level. And, and relational ecumenism and receptive ecumenism are as important as theological dialogue. In fact, you know, in terms of reception, more so. And I think that's the contribution the Anglican Society has been making and will continue to make. Where the directions will go, it's hard to anticipate. One of the more exciting things is that uh, we've got a, an increasing number of student members. These are people who are at theological colleges or seminaries and are preparing for ministry either as lay people or as ordained within the church. And in the preparation that most churches nowadays give for ministry, there's very little mention of ecumenism very little mention of the opportunities that now are available for people through things like the Meissen Agreement and Porvo and Call to Common Mission and the Waterloo Statement. There are so many opportunities for people um, to, to interchange ministries, to, to join congregations and, and so on. And students need to know about this. And so the more students we get involved, the better. But another thing is that we've managed to digitise the entire collection of windows. And for students who want to look at the way in which these ecumenical dialogues have developed over the last 30 years or so, it's a, a wonderful resource. So I think we're trying to be useful to people, we like to encourage people to join, but most of all I think we want to try to reinvigorate this movement towards ecumenism because with all the different pressures local congregations are under, I'm afraid relationships with their neighbours are stretched. You know, they're more interested in keeping themselves going than they are making friends with their neighbours. And we would like to see them making friends with their neighbours so together they can pool their resources and take the gospel forward. Thank you both for joining me today and enjoy the rest of the conference. And thank you. If you would like to join or just learn more about the work of the ALS, visit anglican-lutheran-society.org. A bit closer to home in Canterbury, Reverend Mela Sould found a friendly ally amongst participants at the Lambeth Conference to try and explain just what this high-profile Church of England event has to do with Lutherans in the UK. Lutherans in the UK. Living Grace. Hello, I'm uh, Dirk Lang, or Dirk Lange. I'm Assistant General Secretary for Ecumenical Relations at the Lutheran World Federation and professor of liturgy. We are at the moment in Canterbury and participating at the Lambeth Conference, which is uh, gathering once in a decade and, and all the Anglican bishops from all over the world are here. What are Lutherans doing here at Anglican Lambeth Conference? Well, Lutherans have had a very long uh, collaboration uh, with the Anglican Communion. There are many full communion uh, agreements, Porvo, 
Waterloo Declaration in Canada, the call to common mission in the U.S., and other agreements, the Meissen, Meissen Agreement, for example. And we've been in dialogue for, for decades together, um, sharing a theological and liturgical uh, tradition as well. It's good for us to be here with our sisters and brothers in the Anglican Communion with the bishops. And as you may have seen, there are also several Lutheran bishops here who are in full communion. And um, how would you describe the atmosphere here? Well, this is my first time, so I can't compare it to other Lambeth conferences, but I'm very impressed uh, by the spiritual depth of the conversations. I think uh, beginning every day in Bible study and in small group conversations. I've been in one group with five, six other bishops from Anglican bishops from around the world. And it's been a time for us to really get to know each other in our very different contexts and uh, diving into the text of First Peter has brought, has helped uh, grow trust and understanding. And that, I think, has then spilled over into the general uh, discussions in the plenaries and in the call sessions where uh, there is a deeper understanding and respect of one another uh, that I think grows out of that Bible study. So I've been really very uh, grateful for that um, generous atmosphere that I've experienced here. And some of the issues that have been discussed have not been so easy. I mean, the, the question about human sexuality and understanding uh, um, the situation of LGBT people and acceptance of LGBT people in the church. I think that was one of the finest examples of what I was just describing, of that uh, generous and respect full attitude of uh, bishops for one another and that uh, we could discuss uh, a, a very sensitive topic that brings about disagreement but we could still talk about that discuss that uh, with respect for one another and for our various positions and I think that was exemplified not only by the Anglican bishops in that call session but I was very grateful for the ecumenical table where I was sitting uh, with representatives of uh, Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, uh, Methodist, Salvation Army. We, we were a whole plethora of, of denominations, of churches around the table. And there too was respectful listening and generative engagement thinking, reflecting on how does Scripture invite us into uh, thinking both of, uh, especially of human dignity and then sexual identity. It was a very, I was very impressed by the conversation. But nothing was decided. No, um, I, I'm not sure that was the purpose. I think um, we look always to a certain pragmatic conclusion, but I think one of the steps in reaching a fuller or deeper understanding is when we can begin to learn and engage in a deeper spiritual exchange with one another that will make future decisions perhaps a fuller agreements, uh, more comprehensive agreements. As you mentioned, you work uh, for the Lutheran World Federation. And if you see how Anglican Communion operates, what are the good examples which Lutherans could take over or could take as an example from Anglicans? 
Well, I think if I just look at this conference, uh, I, I think this groundedness of all the conversation, all the discussion in Bible study is very powerful. And for Lutherans, that should not be a very hard thing to, to do because, of course, Scripture is so central in our, in our identity. And this year, for example, the 500th anniversary of the translation, Luther's translation of the New Testament, uh, is a very good time for us to recall our roots in that attentive listening to God's Word as it comes to us in Scripture. I think there is something we can, we can uh, be reminded of. Uh, the Anglicans, in that sense, remind us of something in our own tradition, right? That, uh, to, to keep alive, and I think that's really helpful. Um, and then the Anglican, the beautiful Anglican tradition of uh, the daily office of common prayer, singing together, <laughs> praying together, uh, following the, the ordo of the liturgy, finding a way in which it is continually renewed, enculturated, coming to different expressions, I think, uh, that is also something that uh, we could really bring to life. You mentioned already in the beginning um, the agreements between Anglicans and Lutherans. How far we are from the situation where Anglican communion and the whole Lutheran World Federation could be in full communion? Yeah, I, I think that's on the horizon. I think there are some very strong initiatives happening, uh, both here in the UK, but also I think of the Meissen Agreement. But uh, we're also launching now the, um, the acronym is ALICUM, the Anglican Lutheran International Commission on Unity and Mission. It's a rather long title, but uh, that uh, commission, that international commission, is looking to implement the many dialogue uh, statements we have, the many consensus statements that have been agreed upon, um, and we're looking at how can we implement those in parishes, in, in local congregations, not just, you know, in a theological dialogue, but uh, bringing together bishops in a diocese, Lutheran Anglican uh, leaders in a particular region or, or diocese, and accompanying them as they seek to implement a, a closer communion between the two, the two uh, communions, between the two churches. And I think once uh, th th we're really just at the beginning of that commission, uh, we had the first uh, meeting, we'll have a, f a fuller meeting coming up in a few months. And so that gives me a lot of hope for a deepening of that communion on a global level, not just on a regional level. How would you describe why Christian unity is important? because the body of Christ is one. Uh, we are all called into one body. God has reconciled the world to God's self. God invites us into that uh, God's own act of reconciliation, into that reclaiming of the world, the reconciliation of one with another, with churches with one another to again live out fully our baptism into the one body of Christ and be a, and be a, a, a parable, be a catalyst for uh, reconciliation in the world.
Thank you for this conversation. Dirk Lange from the Lutheran World Federation and uh, you are the Assistant General Secretary for Ecumenical Relations. Thank you very much for inviting me. Bishops may have been in abundance at Lambeth, but not all of them were Anglican. Malus follows up with a notable Lutheran guest after the conference. We are recording this interview after the Lambeth Conference, which brought together 660 Anglican bishops from around the world and also ecumenical guests. And one of the ecumenical guests was the chair of the Council of Lutheran Churches, the bishop of the Lutheran Church in Great Britain, Thorberger Jürgensen. It was um, your first time to be at Lambeth Conference. How did you feel as a Lutheran bishop among Anglican bishops from around the world? I was very impressed. It was a nice experience. I did not exactly know what to expect, only bishops. It's very seldom for us to be in that kind of position with so many bishops coming together. And uh, it was a big, big event, I would say, with so many from all over the world. What impressed me is that how many uh, women bishops there already are in the Anglican Communion and they are basically then from uh, the United States and from here in UK too, but also from, from Africa. So that was very nice to see, I must say. What did you learn about the Anglican Communion? Yes, you mentioned uh, the number of uh, female Anglican bishops, but what was new about the Anglican Communion uh, for you? I wouldn't say anything was especially new, but it was nice to understand that they really have a fellowship, a communion, which is much better than the communion we have in the Lutheran world, because we have not the same kind of fellowship like they have. So in that way, it was a, a good experience. I was maybe a little surprised that everything was said and done more or less by the Archbishop himself or people he had appointed to more or less support his own points of view. I would have thought maybe that we should see more and hear more from various uh, views uh, inside the Anglican Communion of this or that. But he had all the addresses, three of them, and he led most of the Bible studies. And uh, the material were, seemed to me to be prepared by people who basically had his views on what is now important for us uh, and not. So that, so that was very interesting. It was not a democratic kind of, of setup. How the Lambeth Conference dealt with the critical issues that are dividing also Anglican communion and the issues about human sexuality are somehow critical in different churches. But how, how did you see and observe how they were dealt um, with within Anglican communion? I came a little late. After one week, I uh, came on Monday, so I had only one week then together with them. And I think something of the first week, there was some kind of uncertainty of how this shall be dealt with technically also in the assembly there. 
but when I came, it seemed that everything had calmed down, and and the, and the uh, Archbishop had a sort of control of how to handle it, and his way of defining it, I think, had a sort of impact on uh, the constituency here in the way that, uh, well, he, he accepted and confirmed that the old statement from 98 is still not put aside, so that is uh, still the opinion of the Anglican Communion, but the whole question of who shall not then be part of the communion, he had a sort of new approach. There is no talking of uh, excluding anyone. There are no sanctions against those uh, provinces uh, which already then have opened for a new way of looking at this, this. And he talked about that new approach in a very accepting way and a very spiritual way that this is, they have done this after consideration and reading the scriptures and so on. So, so he tried and I think he succeeded in keeping the conference together in that, in that way. But I would not say that this was a, a victory for those who want change in these matters, but it was a sort of, yes, we are part of the same communion, even if we have different opinions. And that is a better position than going from each other, sort of excluding each other and so on. The big issue will be those three provinces where, which were not... Uh, then at least the primates there were not attending here from Rwanda and Nigeria and uh, Uganda. That will be then interesting to see whether the Archbishop and his team will be able to convince them that they should rejoin or be, be part of this. Thinking about the future, the conference, Lambeth Conference, was looking towards the future as well. But from ecumenical perspective um, and as a Lutheran bishop, what kind of future would you like to see together with Anglican Communion? We are very happy for the portable communion. We are not quite sure, though, uh, how effective it is in practice. Even here in the uh, UK, we have some. We are very small, and and how deep this fellowship really is 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 a little difficult to evaluate. But we have this fellowship, and that is important. This must be become international. In America and in Canada, they have also likewise a sort of communion. But why can't they make a sort of unified attitude from the side of the Anglicans? Then they can use the same kind of language and also the same kind of documents to making a basis for communion. So I hope that by the 10 years coming f until the next Lambeth conference that they will be able to do that. But... It may be even more important is the question of will they be able to understand the feelings of uh, the churches in South experience of being sort of children to the great mother or father then, which is represented by the Church of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury as a sort of leading partner in this. And I felt when I talked with some of the Africans and heard their voices that, that this is not the future. It must be a sort of equality and the importance of the English thing here must be diminished. If that again, and therefore they talked about having a Congress for African bishops, 
and whether that again will develop the controversy around uh, uh, the sexual questions is impossible to say at the moment. So, so how the future will be for this Anglican communion, I'm not quite sure after this, and I'm not quite sure whether the Archbishop, in his way of leading this and making the conference, we also will have backing from his own church in everything he was doing and saying, because this was like being at a revival meeting. Many good things but said about salvation and how we shall live our lives and so on, but there was lacking something, I feel, in a sort of European understanding of the role of the church in society, which, uh, like we would say in the Nordic tradition, a sort of people's church, Volkskirche, Volkskirche in German, uh, we lacked something uh, of theology around that in what he was saying. Thank you for this summary about the Lambeth Conference, where the Anglican bishops, together with ecumenical guests, were together at Canterbury. Thank you, Bishop Thorberger Jürgensen. Thank you. Lutherans in the UK. Living Grace. July 2nd saw London's biggest ever Pride celebration, emerging from a two-year hiatus induced by the pandemic. And this year also marked a special anniversary, as we learned when we caught up with a familiar face in the crowd. General Secretary Anna Kraus, we are uh, preparing to join the Pride Parade in London. Uh, Why do you think it's important to take part of this event? I think it's important to show our support for the LGBTQ plus community. It's the 50th anniversary of of Pride in London, so it's an even more important date for us in the calendar. As Christians, we, we are a loving community, an inclusive community, and being together and showing our support, I think, is a really big statement. What do you expect from this day? Um, a lot of fun, a lot of interesting people, a bit of walking, and um, yeah, just generally, I think, a very good convivial mood, I think. People are very excited around here and everyone's really, really happy and and smiling. So I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Some of the member churches are also taking part uh, this year. Finns and Swedes, maybe maybe even more. (laughs) I haven't heard of anyone else, but um, it would be nice to see see more of us, um, of us Lutherans, taking part in the Pride. And yeah, we're here with the Finnish church, so it's, it's really great to be out and about with our member churches. But it's still sometimes a controversial issue and that some of the Christians and Lutherans as well would question why we are doing this. Uh, it, it's a controversial issue to accept um, LGBT people as pastors or, or accept uh, gay or lesbian marriages. Uh, what would you say to them? Absolutely. And it's not like we take this very lightly. I think it's important to talk to each other and start by accepting that not everyone will have the same opinion. And I think it's really important to continue a dialogue where we try to understand each other and where we're coming from, to to understand the people and the Bible together. And to outright exclude and judge people, I don't think is something the church should do. I think that's only a judgment God can make eventually. So I don't think we should put ourselves in a place of God to judge people um, on whether or not they're fit for heaven. 
Ellen Marie Skillingstead was also amongst the marchers. So what did you think about this uh, pride? Oh, it was fantastic. Fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It's my first time on Pride and this was quite the experience. It's amazing to see all the people coming out and cheering and supporting one another. It's love. Yes, I love it. And you are a minister of uh, Norwegian Church? Yes, I'm one of the pastors at the Norwegian Church in Rotherheim. Yes, and we're in Albion Street next to the Finnish Church. That's why you are joining the Finnish group? That is why I'm here today. Yes, we are two good neighbors and uh, I'm very happy to be walking with the Finnish Church here at Pride 2022. Yes. About LGBT rights, what is the situation in your church? Is it mostly supportive nowadays? Yes, I think, yeah, inclusive and supportive. I mean, we can always be more supportive and encouraging. So my sermon tomorrow is hopefully going to give some courage to be more supportive and actually acknowledging that there's still some things that we need to do as a community, as, a, as Christians as well, to make the world a better place for everybody. Sala Kortenyemi from the Finnish church helped organize some of the Lutheran presence at Pride. Why the Finnish church has decided to come to the Pride? Well, it is really important for our organization that we support um, human rights and the right to love and to be who they are. So we thought that's really important. That's why this is the third time we're participating. And we were so happy to have this lot again. Uh, do you also feel the support from your community? Because I saw that all the places uh, that you booked were filled. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We were so happy. So there are people who were here the third time, but also he people who were here uh, the first time. And we actually invited people, but also we um, gave like open invitation for everyone in the Finnish community. And I thought that was so special because, you know, people who really maybe wanted to do this, they couldn't have a chance, but now they did. So I'm really happy about it. How that day will end. The, the march, the pride itself is finished. How do you continue? Well, we continue obviously like, um, if you mean party-wise, I think everybody is free to party as they like, but like work-wise, we are going to be an open community from this day on. Onwards we have been, and it's really important that everybody can come to the Finnish church as they are. Lutheran Student Center Chaplain Rebecca Daniel talked with Emma, one of her students, who was also attending the event. Hi, Emma. Uh, thank you for your willingness to be with us to share your experience of being part of Pride. Can you tell us why did you decide to join us for Pride? I was going to come to Pride as well with some of my friends because I am a queer person. But to join the Finnish church merged two identities being a Christian as well. So joining the Finnish church was an opportunity for me to experience both elements in one setting. Can you please describe more about your experience seeing thousands of people walking with you, shouting, fighting for the cause and um, people uh, cheering you? How was the experience? Yeah, I think the best part about it was actually seeing how people got excited about 
seeing a church at Pride, seeing a church stand with them and for them. I, people visibly start to engage with us with the music that we were playing and dancing as well and engage with like different signs that we had and pointed at them and I think it was just an eye-opening experience truly to see how representation matters for them and also just to see a church supporting everyone there. How did you feel to be part of the inclusive worshipping community? Uh, I thought it was important actually because Sometimes people's perceptions of church can be very stigmatizing and stigmatized in the sense that only the negative um, responses that people get from church are often like broadcasted on social media or anywhere really. So a lot of like queers feel like very stigmatized and ostracized from church communities but because the Finnish church was very inclusive and had signs such as love equals love and we and God loved us and that sort of stuff it was very motivating and it also felt very different from what is known generally speaking and it also gave hope for like future change and for more progress to be made. Did this experience change something in you? I have always had a very supportive church community. Not the wider church, but I have a group of friends who are really supportive. And what I forgot was that people aren't supportive, and a lot of church people sometimes aren't supportive. So seeing the partakers and the people who came to see the parade respond to how they did with such elation and pride looking at the church and interacting with the church i felt a sense of hope and like a renewal of what church actually means which is to bring hope and to spread love and to fight for justice thank you emma lutherans in the uk living grace and now here are some upcoming lutheran opportunities which you are very welcome to attend Beginning on Sunday, the 23rd of October, seminarian Sebastian Matzner will present a three-week series, War and Peace, exploring Christian faith perspectives on combat and the use of violence. The remaining two sessions will take place on October 30th and November 6th at 12.30 p.m. following the morning worship service at St. Anne's Lutheran Church, which meets at St. Mariet Hill near Monument. On October 30th, also a Sunday, the City Bach Collective, in partnership with St. Anne's Lutheran Church, presents Bach's Reformation Cantata No. 80, played by classical musicians in the context of an evening Vespers service, beginning at 6.30pm. For more information on either the lecture series or Bach Vespers, please visit stannslutheranchurch.org.uk. You can find Taizé worship at St. Mary's German Church, No. 10 Sandwich Street, on the fourth Thursday of every month from 6 to 7 p.m. The next one will be on October the 27th. And the new CLC office in Southwark welcomes the public to celebrate its opening on October 31st. You can drop by during business hours for a tour and some refreshments. The new office is in Trident House on Weber Street. Find out more at lutheran.org.uk. Lutherans in the UK, Living Grace, is produced and presented by Rebecca Daniel, Anna Krauss, 
Wendy Shearer, and Mela Sould. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may God's peace be with you. Lutherans in the UK, Living Grace.